Well, Father, thank you for tonight, and um, I just ask for your anointing that you would be able to speak and be heard clearly and that it would find a place in the hearts of your people, and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you guys got any of the, um, oh, the emails or any of that stuff talking about mm, what I was going to be talking on the subject, uh, but I will be talking about something that's been on my heart for a number of weeks. Um, <clears throat> in fact, uh, the Lord's been piecing together little fragments of things that come together. You know, you kind of, it's like a puzzle. You put it together. And I'm still searching for some of this, but I'm, I'm going to share with you, um, this is partly my journey. And so you can take from this whatever the Lord would speak to you, but some of it will be just where I'm at in my own development. And guess what? Even at this age, you're still developing, right? <laughs> so note that the theme is tonight in, from Luke 15 is where I ended up. And it's uh, <clears throat> the subject of lost things, L-O-S-T, lost things. Lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons. So we're going to look at chapter, uh, Luke 15, starting with chapter 1. And first, I want you to take note, if you're looking at your Bible or if you're just listening, just be aware of who the audience is. There's a number of people here listening to Jesus speak, and it's important to know who they are because he's going to be addressing them in just a moment, and he'll speak to who they are. So um, chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to see there's two groups of people. He starts off by saying, many dishonest tax collectors and notorious sinners, I could have been there, <laughs> have come to listen to Jesus. So among all the crowd, there's tax collectors and notorious sinners. That's group one. Don't over-identify with this. Just go with it, okay? And so in group two, there's a, we come to verse two, and he talks about another group. This he said the fact that these people were here raised concern with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. What concerns would that be? Well, he addresses that in just a moment. Um, and notice how Luke, I don't know what your translation does to describe these people, but he describes these uh, Jewish leaders, religious leaders and experts of the law. And he starts by saying they're indignant and they grumble and complained. <laughs> I want you to remember that picture. These are not happy religious people. They, whatever they got, it isn't good. And they are indignant, complaining, and grumbling. And, it, and they're saying to Jesus, look at how this man, among themselves, and he can hear them, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and actually welcomes them all to come to him. They're, they're infuriated by the fact that he would welcome these kind of people into his company. So it says in chapter 3, in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. Now, in response to what? In response to what he had just heard them say. In response to their grumbling and complaining and um, the sense that they were just in, incensed over the fact that Jesus would be with these kinds of people and welcome them to join him, he responds to that issue. You with me? So basically he's talking about and to these religious folks who have a complaint against him. And so the a story unfolds in three parables. The first parable is a, uh, in verse 4, is a, a story about a single lost lamb who's missing from the shepherd's flock. 
one of 99, the song said tonight. And he goes and leaves the flock to go find the one because it has great value to him. Uh, all of these sheep are known to him and he values each of them. When one is missing, he leaves the flock to go find that one. It's a whole different message. Verse 8, Jesus continues with another story about something that's lost. And it's actually the parable of a lost coin. And there's a woman who's searching for this coin. And she has established such a value on it that she will not rest and she, until she has swept her entire house and found this one coin. And when she does, she rejoices. The third lost thing is the thing I'm going to address tonight. And this is the lost thing story. Verse 11, where the Lord concludes his teaching with the story of two sons. In the same theme of lost things, keep in mind, these boys are both lost. Not just one. You've heard the story of the prodigal over and over and over. This is about two lost boys. And the father has lost them both. One is far away and one is near, but still far away. In this story, one of the men is described simply as the younger son. The other is described as the elder or the older son. And Luke records in, in um, verse 11, these, Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the boy sets off immediately. I won't go through the whole story line by line, but he, 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 as soon as he gets the money in his hand, that's all he wanted. He wants nothing else to do with the father. All he was good for was an inheritance. He needed the money to go pursue pleasure and happiness. He was looking for his purpose in life and all those sensual things that people look for. So he sets off and he wastes everything. His whole inheritance is spent on trying to find this, this journey of happiness. And the younger son's journey into this hunger for pleasure ends with these words. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. Now, I don't know how many of you ever pursued something you thought would satisfy you, but probably it left you at a place where it was not that satisfying. In the end, it was just a, um, a path of emptiness. He says, and, and so he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in the land. How does that old saying go? I think I remember it correctly. Sometimes we spend a lifetime climbing the ladder to happiness only to find out we've leaned it on the wrong wall. You know? And so we've gotten there, and all of this work has been for nothing. So in verse 15, the young man finds himself basically homeless and actually starving. He says he begged a farmer in the country to hire him, and the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. He was a foreigner in that land of the, called the world, and he didn't fit. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. And sometimes doesn't it take humiliation to bring us to the place of realization when we're at the bottom of everything and we don't have any more answers and we've, we're spent, then suddenly we start looking around and realizing our condition, and he did. He said, um, there are many workers at my father's house who have all have the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house. So he begins to practice. He begins to script and rehearse what he's going to say. 
to his father. He wants to get it right. He wants to see the right thing so that the father will at least take him back as a hired hand. So the son's young son set off for home and from a long distance away, it says his father saw him coming. Now that, without going into the whole teaching, that just tells you one thing. The father had been watching for his return. He had been, had been scanning the horizon probably the whole time the boy had been gone, hoping that he would come to his senses and come home. And so Jesus is telling the story. He's accurate. He understands exactly the nature of our God. So he begins to describe how God responds when one prodigal returns. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar and with great compassion swelling up in his heart for his son who was returning home. He didn't look with his son with anger. He didn't want to go set him straight. He didn't want him to do penance or to take on menial tasks and earn his way back into the father's love. He lost control of himself in love and ran to him, just like these songs were saying. And he ran to his son, raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Isn't that great language? Now, if you want to know what God's like, Jesus would know, and he tells you right there. You can read the whole Bible, and it's summarized right here. For the repentant person, the person who's turned and come back home, there's always a place. And God meets us not sternly with wrath, but he runs to us, and he lifts us up and holds us and loves us and kisses us over and over. Have you ever seen a father like that? In my heart, I have. Did you ever think that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, could be so tender and passionate toward one of his children? You have to experience that to understand it, don't you? And I'll point that out in a moment. So the boy begins his, his scripted repentance. Whether he meant it or not, it doesn't matter. The father doesn't care. <laughs> Go deal that with that in your theology. Uh, it doesn't have to be genuine and scripted correctly with the right King James type language. The fact that he came home was enough for the father. So he starts talking. Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me hold it. The father says, that's enough of that. He said, son, you're home now. Nothing else mattered. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. And I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son because he was barefoot and destitute. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine once was, and in one translation it says dead. Meaning separated from me, disconnected from my reach and my love and my tenderness. And he was out of my, the range of my love that he could tangibly feel and experience. He was dead and now he's alive. Once he was lost and now he's found. One of the lost sons. And everyone, it says this, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Well, almost. Jesus continues the story because he's not finished. He hasn't addressed all the people in the audience 
especially the ones he began telling the story for. He has a message for them. Now this is uh, another character the Lord wants to address, and he's represented by the older son. Verse 25, now the older son was out working in the field, and where else would he be? After all, that's what older sons do. They work in the field. They never take a day off. They're diligent. They're hardworking. And they are earning every penny that they get. No fun and games for this serious guy. He's hardworking, and it's all business. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. And it says, as he, as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. And I want you to know for an elder son, celebration and music is just incongruous. It's just un unbelievable. He can't put that together with what's happening here. So he, he asked a um, servant, he said, what's going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. Now, the Amplified Bible does a really good job of describing this verse 28. So I'll just jump to that for just a minute. It says, but the elder brother became angry. Another translation says, furious. His countenance changed and he darkened in his anger. It was beyond, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm mad. He was beyond himself. And he deeply resentful and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out to him and began pleading with him. And the older son continues with his complaint. Father, listen. How many years I've been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. Been working like a slave and as a faithful son, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. So what was the father's reply? My son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone. But now he's alive and back with us. He was lost, but now he's found. And this is cause for celebration. This is a season to not be working. This is a season to celebrate. And there's the theme again, the story of not one, but two lost brothers. So what was the point of this story? What was Jesus trying to get at that he needed to speak to these people. Because in parables, sometimes the, the story, people see themselves in it and it doesn't, it's not as offensive. Sometimes they can hear the message and then the identity of the personages come to play. But let me say this, since man's expulsion, since he was removed from the garden, he's been cursed with trying to make life happen on his own trying every way in his power to find his way home. Both of these boys were lost, trying to find their way back home. And both of them tried in their own way to find their way. This one story is really a picture of all humanity. Because on the one type, the younger brother tries desperately to find this lost paradise of happiness and joy. 
and he was looking in the natural pleasures of life. To him, that was just a foregone conclusion. That was a natural thing for him to do, was to go experience these things in hopes that he would come to that place where he would, that he would find that thing that was missing in his heart. But um, Solomon said the same thing in Ecclesiastes. He said, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But what was his conclusion? If you read down further, it says, but I found that this too was meaningless. He exhausted every avenue of pursuit trying to find his way. And everything that he tried in his own effort was meaningless. The other type of person, the older brother, follows a different path in his uh, search for the meaning of life, if you will. He's got his own paradise recovery program, which is driven totally by self-effort. I'm going to get back in that garden if it kills me. I'm going to earn my way back into God's good grace. He may not say it that way, but he believes that with all his heart, don't we? <laughs> but as you see, flesh can only give birth to flesh. And only spirit gives birth to spirit. And that's not true only of just salvation, but in your development, in your maturity, in your growth as well. It was certainly true for the church in Galatia. Paul heard that his church in Galatia was struggling with this problem. They had begun in one way, and they were falling back into Judaism and law and regulations and all the legality of self-effort. So he wrote them a letter. And he, he starts in, this is in Galatians 3, it's a little ways into the book, but he says this, and I paraphrase this because it speaks to me in this person. He said, my foolish son, who has deceived you and blinded you to the good news of Jesus? Verse 2, let me put this question to you, and I want you to think about this as if he were speaking this to you. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. Having begun in the Spirit, we must continue in the Spirit. We can't revert to our flesh to complete something that was born of the Spirit. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. You're going down the wrong road, bud. Turn around and go back down the road and find your way. And the questions continue. And these are really good questions for us to consider because this is to the church. These are to believers. People, too, have fallen back into this self-effort thing. Answer this question. Does God, the God, who lavishly provides you with his own presence, the Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving? or because you trust him to do them in you. 
Still, it's the same. Will you pursue this path or will you pursue this path? Next month, I'm going to talk about the true trees in the garden that were the root of all of this thinking. But jumping to verse 11, the obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. No one. Never in the history of mankind could anyone sustain a relationship with God, much less birth it. But having had it birthed in the Spirit, what makes you think you can continue this in your own efforts? This is a work of God. <coughs> this, is, this, is the, this is bold red letters for me. Listen to this one verse. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. That's a different twist, isn't it? The person who remains or lives in a right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. In other words, I'm not going to go out and create my own destiny. I'm going to receive the one God brings to me. I'm going to embrace it and watch him work it out as I agree with him. You with me? This is where liberty and joy comes into our process. Because suddenly, I gave my life to him, and he thought I meant it. <laughs> he actually took it and began a good work, and all he wants me to do is to agree with him and to come into alignment with his blessing and say, yes, Lord, and watch him work out something. And my, my job here is to find out what God has arranged for me. There it is. The answer is right there. Living in a right relationship with God is accomplished by embracing what God arranges for me, not what I can initiate in my own wisdom and my own power. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's hard to do, isn't it, folks? So Jesus nailed it in Matthew 11. I just want to read you his words. He's really good, by the way. Uh, he's one of my favorite authors. <laughs> and he was speaking to all the religious, older sons and daughters. And we fall in and out of this. Let's admit it. We go from grace and mercy into law all the time and back and forth, don't we? And, and what do you feel like when you're under law? Are you despondent and depressed and feel ugly? Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That sounds like a good exchange. I'll bring you all my junk, and you give me peace and rest. He says, I'll do it. Just come to me. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. This is who I am, and you can trust that. I will be gentle with you. I'll never abuse you. And when you yoke yourself with me, we will begin a journey of peace and joy and effective ministry. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The yoke of Jesus is simply this. Embracing what God has arranged as I walk with him in the union of our fellowship. I stay close. It's like this picture. When I asked the Lord about this years ago, he said, Bob, you know what a yoke is? I see this wooden thing across the shoulders of oxen. Is that, can you everybody get on that page with me? And he says, now, in this, in this picture, I want you to know one of these oxen is really powerful. 
He knows what he's doing. He's been there before and he knows where he's going and he can pull the weight. I'm gonna yoke you with him and all you have to do is stay in the yoke. He'll give you direction, he'll give you power, and he'll give you a relationship in this whole process. All you have to do is come to him and stay in that yoke. Continue to surrender and submit yourself to God's will and waiting for his answer. It reminds me of that story I shared months ago about stop, turn, ask, and respond. Every time I come to this, the Lord says it's, a, it's that simple, Bob. That's all there is to it. When you're in trouble or confused or disoriented, stop. Don't continue down that road. Stop and turn to me and ask me, what's up, God? What's going on here? And then wait and respond to what I tell you. My truth will set you free. My perspective will give you direction. And my power will enable you to become just like my son Jesus. Now Jesus said it best. I only do what the Father's doing. I'm only authorized in that realm, by the way, he said. I could do anything I wanted to. But I'm only authorized to do this, what he's doing. So I need to find what he's doing and join him in his ministry. And it'll go well with me. The ministry of Jesus is powerful, it's tangible, it changes the world, and somehow I need to get involved in that and not this ministry of Bob. Okay? That hadn't been so hot. Okay? And, um, and he says, all other... Let me say it this way. He says, I'm only authorized in that realm, and all other is self-effort of mankind and has no benefit to humanity. My very best work is of no benefit to you unless Christ is in it. So Jesus asked Peter this question in its proper order. He says, Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter say? Mostly, kind of, sort of, you know the truth. I really want to, but I don't do it well. That's basically what he was saying. But do you notice the order? And then he says, then go feed my sheep. He didn't say, go feed my sheep, and then I'll love you. He says, do you love me? And Peter said, I, I really want to. I like you a lot. That's what the Greek says. It's phileo. It's not agape. He said, I like you. I'm, I'm a friend of yours. I'm, I, I, I really adore you. But he, Peter knew he was lacking still, aren't we? And so he told Jesus the truth, and Jesus said, good enough. Go feed my sheep. Ask him three times. But the order is this. First, we come into a place of love and empowerment, and then we go out to feed the sheep. Let's don't ever think we can feed the sheep out of our own stuff. Our plates are empty until they're full. Sadly, you can only give people what you have. It's either the burden of God's love or it's simply a burden. <laughs> That's the only two there are. One gives life. The other gives despair and hopelessness. If I'm not producing the fruit of an experience with God, then the answer is not to work harder. The answer is to go back to the soil of my life and nurture the roots of the good news. And what is the good news, folks? God loves us. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
For the Bible tells me so. And now, not only does the Bible tell me that, but the Spirit of God witnesses to that in me. And he comes and nurtures me, and he's tender and gentle toward me. The good news of the kingdom is that I am invited into a celebration with a loving father and with some really messed up brothers. <laughs> am I right? We're all invited to the party, and we're not cleaned up yet. But my job is to go celebrate, and the father works out all the details. I have to show up and remain in the yoke. I'm reminded that everyone is welcome, and the notorious sinners and the self-righteous religious people as well. If I remember that, sometimes I can be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that, that Jesus had a message for us in this. That there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And you're it. We turn away from self-effort, trying harder and striving, and this, this despondency that comes with failure and everything that's, that we spend in exhaustion. Turn away from that. We reject that. We say that's of the flesh. And we look to you and say, what do you say? What do you say, Father? And you always say the same thing. I just love you. Come closer. And so tonight, we do. We step out in trust and faith, and we come closer. Come and live in us. Show us how to surrender all our lives to you. Help us to submit to you because you're good. You're good. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Thank you for who you are. We bless you and love you. Celebrate you tonight. In Jesus' name.